Patty's Day. I think you know, you know I, I can't do that. I think you know you can't, I can't do what? that. You tell me. I don't know. I don't know. Does, does uh, Michael know? Michael Rob? I feel like he would uh, know. It, w- it wouldn't surprise me at all if he did. Is it from a, a saint? St. Patrick's Day, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would make sense. Why did I even ask that stupid question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone told me once that, uh, um, I don't know if that's true, that uh, it's not for St. Patrick's Day, but that the invention of Guinness was like, uh, the guy was given the recipe by God because there was like a, people were dying from a lack of iron. <laughs> in Whoa. ireland uh, and so and guinness has a lot of iron and i was like this just sounds like a reason like an excuse to get drunk but i don't know if that's true yeah i don't know i don't know kind of makes you want to treat guinness with a little more respect you like do you like guinness no not a fan not a fan i feel like you either have to love it or hate it i guess uh, it's uh you know carbonated beverages the bubblier the better they just came out with a uh nitrogen infused pepsi which i think is the science behind guinness uh oh that the nitrogen infusion makes it softer uh so less bubbly and uh yeah that it doesn't sound very good to me yeah i don't know i'd have to try it i don't i don't know if i'd like that or not i feel like that might i might enjoy that maybe with root beer you see the uh, the new Coke, the Star Star One or something? Yeah, space flavored. Yeah, what did you try it? Yeah, is, yeah. Is it good? Does it taste like space? Uh, it, of course, yeah. It's everything you you dream it would be. <laughs> is it really? Like, what is it? I thought it would probably just taste the same. Does it taste? Different? It, no, no. It's a it's a pretty uh, aggressive uh, mm. fruity flavor. It's sort of a dark fruit, like a cherry or raspberry i i i don't have a strong palate so i'm probably way off base but sounds sounds legit i saw it in walmart and i i wanted to buy it just because of the the design it looks extremely attractive it's got all these cool colors and it's vibrant and i was like oh i want to drink that but then i looked at it i was like this probably just tastes like coke well i always get the the new cokes when i find them because they don't well historically they haven't come out very frequently although now it seems they're becoming more and more common. Uh, <clears throat> well, I, I found once, and I've never seen it again, in a gas station, not even uh, a big chain gas station, just uh, a little bodega. Uh, they had a cinnamon Coke. Uh, and it's the only Coke I've ever had that I didn't like. But I wish that I'd gotten a couple of them because I've never seen them before or since. That's weird. So you didn't like mm-hmm. it? No, I, I'm not too big on cinnamon. It had a little too much bite. Uh, have you had the coffee Coke? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I like it. it. I like mm-hmm. it too. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're getting a little more experimental. I, I think it's a bad move ultimately, even though I'm enjoying it because you know it used to feel like an event when they would come out with a, a new flavor. Yeah. Uh, but unlike, you know, Mountain Dew has like a half a dozen new flavors uh yeah every year yeah and uh, mountain dew is my my go-to diet dew but it's like the only the original i try all the other flavors and i'm like this just doesn't 
doesn't beat the original. Awesome. Uh, it's a good soda. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's probably why I don't I don't drink that much. It's because of uh, I enjoy soda so much. Hey, let me see if you can see this. Look at that. Is that, Is the, that the moon? moon? Yeah. Oh, mercy. It's showing up so well. I know. Man, I miss it out there. The part of the country that you're in is just unparalleled. Yeah. I used to love yeah. riding out there uh, to your neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, if you're yeah. up here, man, yeah. you like, you should come stay up here. My parents are like the most hospitable people like ever. So they would, like if you and Lori came through, they would be like totally let you stay in the room. You could probably it's stay here for, for a month if you wanted, you know. It, it's going to happen. Not the month, but I would definitely <laughs> yeah, be stopping in. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I don't know if it's a full moon. I thought, no, I think tomorrow is a full moon, but it mm. looks full for sure. This, they say that's when people are at their most creative. Dude, it is just, there's something about the moon, though. It's so, uh, there's so many emotions that go with it. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's like, the light is just like soft and comforting. It's like when you sleep under a full moon, it's just like, man, feels right. I don't you know catch yourself sleeping outside often? Uh, yeah, when it's warmer, I, at my old house, I had a um, screened in porch, like back porch. And then I had a loft. I had other rooms. Like I had a four bedroom house to myself and I never used any other rooms. Like I would either sleep in the loft in the winter time. And then as soon as it was warm enough, I would be out, I'd sleep on my porch every single night. But it was screened in and covered, so I never really got to look at the stars and sleep under that open sky. Like I at my parents' house now, like I, um, uh, since I've been here after I sold my house, I like it's it's just been I kind of like it better actually. Like I've woken up a few times to rain, and I'm like, wait, what's going on? I'm like wet, my sleeping bag's wet. But then uh, I don't know, it's worth it though, because I like out here too. I'll see. Um, I mean it's probably every other night i could see a shooting star like it's, that's amazing or or i don't know if they're really shooting i guess it's a comet or something it could be whatever but yeah yeah there's a so when we went to um uh like when we went to the ukraine trip last year it was probably about it was may last year yeah it was may last year and then so on the way back we stopped over in greece and we're supposed to meet with some other people but everything kind of got canceled because of um, covid and stuff but so my sister, oldest sister, Jessica, and my brother-in-law, Micah, it was their, I think their anniversary while we were over there of getting married. So they were going to renew their vows. So we went to Santorini for like, a, I think it was two nights, maybe. I don't know. But like, so the, he goes in the, the day we were there, we had like a full day. So we hiked, Jessica was like, we'll just hike this, this hike. It's like across the island. It's only like, I think it was like nine miles. It's the entire freaking island. It took all day long. It was like up and down, up and down. And so we finally get to the end and like we rented these ATVs. So we we're just trying to get there before the ATV place closed. And so then like we get there just in time, get on the ATVs and we're driving back. And like, I have Josiah, like my little nephew, he's like that they adopted from Ukraine. So he was sitting on the back um, of the ATV and it was just, man, it was surreal. Cause it was just like, it had just gotten dark, they had, like, the air was just like where it's almost just too cold like it's like perfect and you're on like this beach island sort of where it's, I mean, it's all rocks but the moon i've never seen the moon that big or that bright and it was just like low in the sky and reflecting off of the waters and the whole sky was just freaking i mean it was crazy bright just from the moon and the reflection and everything it was just one of those things that's just like 
I saw it and I was like, yeah, it was when I saw it, I knew it was extremely beautiful. And then I couldn't like get a picture of it because I was driving. But then ever since then, yeah, it stuck with me more and more. So sounds like you got a picture of it after all. Yeah. Yeah. A piece. Oh, I was going to say right here. Oh, in, in my heart. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So that's my story. Tell me a story, Mitch. Tell me a good story. Man, I ain't got no stories. You do? You just spent a year over in the Canary Islands. Tell me a Canary Island story. Uh, there's a There's a good poet that says... He's writing about his wife that's passed away. Jack Gilbert's the poet. And he says, uh, what, I, what I miss most about her is uh, it's so commonplace I, that I no longer remember. Uh, I think that's true of my time on the island. It's so commonplace that I never, no longer remember. What yeah, does that it's mean? sort of the, the minutia of, of the day-to-day that when you're uh, doing something you love or with people that you love. It, uh, it, that's the, the stuff that's sort of heightened uh, that that endears you to it. Hmm. As we uh, started to leave, they're like, you know, what's on your bucket list before you leave? And really, it, it was difficult to communicate, but really what I wanted to do most was uh, just be a part of a regular schedule be a part of regular life with people that I wasn't going to see for a while. But uh, people love to 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 elevate uh, beginnings and endings, and with good reason. It, it's it's right to do that. Uh, and I, I guess I was just sort of trying to defend myself from the, the fact that I was skedaddling. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool, though, that you got to... I don't know. You need to tell me specific stories, though, not just this. Quote somebody else. <laughs> oh, is it, oh, it, what man. you said, though. Let me see. I, I'm gonna see if I can share the screen here. If I uh, can find the right photo. Um, I just need a one with a bigger size. My goodness. I don't know. I'm sure you know the quote anyway. Um, put an image in new tab. Yeah, anyway, this uh it's Calvin Hobbes, of course. So where's the share screen? I forgot how to do this. There. This is what it reminded me of. It's funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything's different. That's good, yeah. That's yeah. something something uh uh in the same hemisphere as is that yeah. Hey man, you ever like second guess if a word is a word after you say it? That's what just happened with me and hemisphere. Can you confirm that is an actual word? What was it? What was the word? Hemisphere. Hemisphere. That's yeah. a word. Yeah, of course. Hemisphere. What does that mean? Um, I think it. I think it's like. Uh, well, it's what it refers to the Earth. Like the isn't the northern and southern hemisphere? Like the Earth is divided into. Yeah, the Earth is divided in I think four hemispheres, or something. So oh, better off. it says the definition is half of a sphere. <laughs> there we go. That's funny. Yeah. So I guess that's why you can divide it into four different ones. The earth into, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or two, sure. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. I should have said neighborhood or something. So give me, give me a specific story. Like what's, what's one that stuck with you? You haven't that like really stand out? 
Uh, you don't. You don't have to share them if you don't. Are they personal? You're just gonna keep them in here, the image in there. No, I'm just terrible at, at sharing uh, for okay. myself. It's it's been a lifelong struggle. Uh, I think it's really been off-putting to my to my friends and family. <laughs> All right. I I'm not sure if uh, I got bad at uh, sharing for myself from years of trying to avoid it or. I was avoiding it because uh, I, w I wasn't good at it. Mike, Michael Rob. I always feel like I need to say his last name. Last name he prefers time. it, actually. He so. Does he? Really? Okay, good. Does he prefer when going by that or going by both? If you ask him, well, what, right. do you, what do you prefer to be called? It's, it's Michael Rob. All right. I'll ask him as soon as he gets in here. Make sure. Yeah, I don't know why it's... Hey! Hey, Jason. I'm happy to get to see you. I know. This is nice. So, do you prefer to be called Michael Robb, the full name? That's right, yes. Okay. I was just <laughs> telling Mitch, I was like, every time every time I talk about him, I always feel like I need to say his last name, and I don't know why. And Mitch was like, he actually prefers that. So It's a sweet courtesy that you do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to grab a couple books and kind of stick them under this computer. My camera's built in. Uh, okay. It's not a laptop, so I think this will be helpful. Okay. So just as a FYI, I, I probably have about an hour to give uh, to this conversation in the what? end. So, yeah, I know, Jason, you're used to three and four hour ones. No yeah, way. No. You make three and four hour recordings? <laughs> not really. We did one because uh, we were trying to get through two chapters of Exodus, and we spent like almost two hours, got derailed on something with like uh, the imagination and how words originally start as poetry before they become prose. And then we got into masculine and feminine stuff. And then somehow Christian tied it all back into the Exodus thing. And then Mitch popped in uh, right as like the two hour mark. And then we went for like another two hours. So, <laughs> yeah. Are you regularly walking through the Bible with someone such that two chapters of Exodus fits in that larger schema? Yeah, we just started. Um, so, Christian, his name, um, Christian Golden is his name, and um, I met him actually through a Discord server, and he wanted to do, I had like a Zoom conversation with him, and then he texted me later and said he'd like to go through a book by book, maybe, and we were thinking either Ecclesiastes or Exodus, and then it seemed like people were kind of talking about Exodus a little more lately, I think because Jordan Peterson has been mentioning it as well, so we were like, let's just try going through that, so it's been me, wow. him, and Mitchell, and Craig, Craig Fay. And we've been doing, yeah, two, two chapters. We were trying to do it weekly, but we're taking this week off, so. so. Somebody's getting married. Yeah. You talking about Craig and Ruthie, or are you talking about Jason? No, not me. <laughs> Some Jason someday. Uh, so uh, I, I, I feel like the, the conversation is going to center around uh, the, the content of, of the video you uploaded this afternoon. Jason, is that right? Yeah, I, I yeah, probably will, I guess. Because the question here, I'll read the question. I, I sent it to Christian. I don't think he's, I invited him, but I don't think he's coming. He said he had plans with a, a non-Zoom friend. So friend that's not just an apparition, <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, but I sent him the question too, so I got to hear. Um, so he might pop in, I don't know. But um, so I, this is what I texted you, Mitch, a while back. I said, do you think all my religious views are tainted by one dogma I might subconsciously have or that they actually are co-working together? 
It's a struggle for me sometimes because I let go slowly of previous dogmas I used to have, but I try to be cautious that I'm not twisting my worldview to make things fit, but rather to understand the truth. So that's kind of, uh, and it kind of stemmed from that because I, I didn't used to believe in uh, what I guess you would call universalism. And then through basically through, yeah, and that's probably the wrong term for it, or at least that term has gotten a, a, uh, a bad um, conception, I guess, because I, people that I actually, I, I have spoken to that say they're universalist will tell me like, yeah, we believe in hell, we believe in all this stuff. So I, I think it varies, there's a spectrum, but so anyways, I, I kind of developed into that through studying the scriptures, just, um, I, I kept seeing things and then, um, trying to really trying to just add precept on precept, you know, line upon line, that whole verse in Isaiah and take scripture upon scripture and add them all together. And then I was just, that kind of led me to keep leaning more towards this idea. And then they just kind of kept settling, but then I'm still like, uh, sometimes I'm just like, just kind of always wanting to have that, that awareness that I'm not just trying to come up with something and then take, I don't ever want to twist scripture ever. And I just, and so, you know, I, and I don't think universalism is the right term. Like Mitch was nodding. I, I think that, uh, well, go ahead. At the very least, it has enough baggage that I, that I think you should consider if you're going to keep, keep on this train, or if, if you become convinced that this train is scriptural, then I, I would, I would create a new term for it. Yeah, I heard um, this girl, Sherry, that was also on the Discord server, she was talking um, about um, kind of the same idea, and she used the phrase ultimate reconciliation, which I think she actually picked up from George McDonald, which I have not read any of his you theology. You mean Gregory McDonald? Uh, George McDonald, I think. You do mean George, not Gregory? George, yeah, I'm pretty sure, because she always quotes George. George. Yeah. 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 So the the fantasy writer that like uh, C.S. Lewis quotes sometimes or whatever. Yeah. So, but I'm not, so I think that might be a better term because I think that's maybe more descriptive of of even what I've kind of, where I've kind of landed in the whole, uh, how I how I view things, I guess. Michael Webb, how do you understand the term universalist? Uh, unfortunately, Mitch, I think I get to disagree with you, which is pretty rare for us. Uh, I yes. think that Jason is rightly using the term universalism. So I, I understand that universalism is the doctrine that says God will save everyone. Now, Jason is articulating, articulating a variant of universalism within the scope of Christian universalism. There are non-Christian universalists, lots of them. Uh, within Christianity, universalism is an extremely minority view, with the possible exception of right. We know of his origin, and he's deemed a heretic. It doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong. Tertullian later leaves the lowercase c Catholic faith, but origin is is judged far more harshly. And Gregory MacDonald, which is why I thought there was a difference, as well as Thomas Talbot, will claim to be evangelical while espousing a variant of universalism. Uh, you probably have an, in our living memory when Rob Bell wrote a book on the subject that was really popular called Love Wins. 
so those things exist and are out there. And I think that Jason is articulating a version of Christian universalism. Um, he thinks, if I understand him correctly, that God will save everyone after they die. So yeah. after they die, they'll continue to have the offer of the gospel. And eventually, after enough offers, they'll say yes and get saved. Yeah, it's uh, sort of, yeah, kind of, mostly along the lines. I, I do believe now in uh, post-death repentance. And I think the reason for that is because of the, the revelation passage and the great white throne judgment thing when hell gives up the dead. Um, where I would think I differ a little bit with I, I don't know that everybody would get saved because um, there's a because I don't know like Mitch made a good point because in my video I, I mentioned like that even with Hitler like if I get to the point of my 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 love grows so much that I, I see this man that we think is normally the antichrist or something and I actually see my uh, the image of God in him and I would be like uh, it, it gets into all the crazy stuff about like the saints will judge the world to come and everything. And so it just in my mind, I was thinking like, well, if this great white throne judgment, if Christians are um, given like at the actual judgment, um, if, if he came before me and actually wanted forgiveness at that great white throne judgment, I would be damned to say like, there's no forgiveness for you for the likes of you. Like, so that's kind of where I would say that most people in that, could be saved then but then mitch brought out a good point and some people may say no like to hell with you and your god um and so those people i think would be tossed in like a fire because um they can't be redeemed i guess i don't know it's mitch, that I distinction my vote. yeah what? mitch i changed my vote you were correct universalism necessarily has embedded in it that it's universal so since okay. you're allowing for a category of folk will for eternity continue to refuse the offer of of the gospel, then you're no longer a universalist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I don't know. I think I think to say that everybody, um, and everything gets in would kind of have to negate that whole part about the the, the lake of fire and things being because it sounds to me like that's just annihilation, and there's a um, it gets to a point where. So there's this there's this book. It's actually by George McDonald, and this uh, I'm just gonna spoil it because, well, maybe I should. Are you gonna read it, Mitch? It's called Lilith. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Well, there's this part where like, um, he he's like basically trying to get Lilith to repent, and it's kind of he takes the story of Lilith that you know that hair, the Adam's first wife, and he just kind of plays with the story, and he writes this whole fantasy book on it. Um, or I don't know, fantasy is the right word. It's made, but it's like uh, it's in based in the spirit realm. But he's trying to get her to repent and she just keeps doubling down and then um and it kind of even gets to the point where like she even sees her depravity and everything's revealed to her and she sees her need for a savior and her response is like almost um she doubles down even more and is like why would you make the, the whole part why would you make me this like god you're unjust to have made me a creature like this and just doubles down even more and so i do think people could go that way ultimately to the point where um uh i mean it sounds and that's what it sounds like in scripture that there will be things that are thrown into the the lake of fire that are that are i guess have, are unredeemable but i think at the at the heart of god it is to reconcile all things to himself jason do you understand that 
that which gets thrown into the lake of the fire perseveres eternal conscious torment, or do you understand that it is thereby killed, annihilated, removed from consciousness? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, let me get my Bible here too. I I have always thought, and maybe this is just an assumption of mine, that it's the second death, and that it's um, it's burned up at that point. And, um, in Certainly, scripturally, it is the second death. Their part. The, in the vast fire. majority of Orthodox Christians understand that to be a conscious eternal punishment. Those who be... choose the route of annihilationism uh, would land back in universalism. So, Mitch, I think I might disagree with you again. Because uh, I'm hearing Jason say everybody is either annihilated, in which case they're no longer part of the universal, or they are ultimately redeemed. Now, I don't equate anni annihilationism with universalism. Typically not. Yeah. My weird camp here. Um, um, yeah. So, so you're saying that... Um, the most orthodox view is the lake of fire the second death is just a a burning a continual everlasting torment um yeah and then there's no chance and then once they're they're gone to that state there's no chance for repentance there most people are going to reject your presupposition that you can change your mind after death okay. most people understand that that's not an option and that's that's a necessary first step for the folk who want to have universalism and still be Christian. You just opt out of the Christendom and have universalism, but God is clearly electing and people are clearly rejecting. So it's really hard to get to Christian universalism without first assuming that you can be regenerate, redeemed, whatever term you want there, converted after death. And most people opt out of that soon. Okay. It doesn't sound like you are. Yeah. Um, so what do you what what happens with um, like what what about that great white throne judgment part then where it talks about death actually giving up her dead to be judged? Um, how how do people say that? They just say there's no there's that's not an option for it. repentance. Happy St. Patrick's. I think that was a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scary St. Patrick's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were there were people shooting out here a bunch last night. I don't know what they're doing. They were like communicating with each other. You'd have one guy shoot like five bullets this way, another guy shoot like <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. What anyway. do you think, Michael? Well, y'all let me talk a lot. I'll, I'll happily give my answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So I understand that the Great White Throne Judgment is a calling up for the final day so over and over we have the day of atonement the final day the last day and i think they are referring to a great judgment that will happen so i understand that when someone dies in 2021 that person was disembodied for a while and so that person when they became disembodied went instantly to be with the lord uh, that's a strange world because it's not a particularly physical world. So it's the, the, the ethereal floaty place. And that's called the intermediate state. The intermediate state is called the intermediate because it mediates between two fixed states, namely the embodied state of this world and the embodied state of the world to come. 
So Jesus was the firstborn of the dead, and he was raised bodily. And we who will be raised will be raised bodily. And I understand that all who die will be raised bodily, whether they're goats or sheep, whether they're wheat or tares. So I understand that all of those who have been taken by death will be presented at that judgment, and then the judgment will be cast. You is that, person. Is ahead, that, Jason. oh, sorry, I have a question. Is, is that judgment given to, because the weird thing is, is in Corinthians, um, it sounds like it says that it's, the saints are going to judge the world in First Corinthians, I think it's chapter six. But then in the Revelation part, it sounds like God, the Almighty, is judging that great white throne. You'll have to help part me true. find them both. I see First um, Corinthians six. It should be the very beginning. Um, and then the Revelation part um, is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Um, it says, that, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that's what, uh, what's the thumbs up? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking of. And I think, yeah, that's true. That's going to happen. Okay. And so that is um, according to like how the orth or Orthodox or you, you even, how you see that, is that God judging or is that judgment committed to the, the saints? And like, because in, in the Corinthians, and this could be separate, like this could be a separate thing, I guess. But he says, First uh, Corinthians 6, um, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you not worthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the th things that pertain to this life? Um, so, I And then he draws the... Yeah. And then he makes the application point. Therefore, it's kind of crazy that, that you're not handling disputes within the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those you would see as, as, as separate. Um, the saints are kind of. My understanding of First Corinthians 6 is that that will actually come to pass. I really do think that saints will judge the world. So I happen to believe that that will happen on this earth. In some part, that's happening already now. So I sit as a saint, as far as I know, sitting in judgment over my household. I am the head of my household. I do judge the cases of my son and daughter when they come to me. And I think that there are others who are in other positions of authority who do that now. I belong to a local church that has a pastor who sits as an overseer of the flock to which I belong. And our cases really do come before that saint. And so I think as time progresses and as we see the gospel go forth and have success, more and more people, namely the world, will come into judgment underneath the saints. As for the ultimate judgment, I do think the day is coming when I will cease to see through a fog dimly, through a mirror dimly. And in that day, I will agree wholeheartedly with the Lord and I'll no longer be deceived the ways I'm deceived right now.
that's kind of where I'm going with it. Is that where you're going to, Jason Mitchell? I wonder in what sense you're currently judging angels. I do think that we are to judge angels. And like you're alluding to, I'm not so sure that we're not present. Unaware. Yeah, um, you could say, I guess if you were looking at that, the way that angels vary and like from gins to fairies and all that stuff, you're kind of judging some. <laughs> some are bad, right? Judge the spirits, test the spirits sort of thing. I guess you could maybe say it that way. That's, um, a, that's a good um where i guess i guess where i was going to with the ultimate um kind of the harrowing of hell the whole idea i guess you could say the ultimate reconciliation is what really like pushed me more that way and when i felt like i started to, to go more that way is kind of the whole romans 11 coupled with um a few things that jesus says but coupled with ezekiel 16 mostly because ezekiel 16 is when God's going to Israel and or it might be Jerusalem he gives the whole the whole spiel about like I found you it's this kind of parabolic image like you're a baby struggling in your blood I clothed you I swaddled you rubbed you with salt um you grew uh he describes her like you were this woman you became beautiful um and then you played the harlot and you kept playing the harlot and I kept sending my prophecy you kept playing the harlot and then he says your sister is Samaria uh you have two sisters one is Samaria one is Sodom um and he's like and then he, then God says, you, he says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She had pride and fullness of food, yet she didn't give to the poor. And then he says, he basically turns it on him and says, like, but to basically sum it up, he, it sounds like he's saying, you knew better. Um, Sodom didn't have the same wisdom and same uh, revelation that you did. And he's like, and you did worse than your sister Sodom. And then he's, it even says, at least in my translation, I read New King James, he says, Sodom is justified. Like you have justified your sister, Sodom. So like those in Sodom are actually, in comparison to you, they are just. So, um, and so that being thrown in with like when Christ comes, he says um, that Sodom will rise up in the judgment and contend this generation for if they had heard, you know, the preaching that you guys are hearing, they would have repented. Um, also coupled with Romans 11, which is basically, the idea where Paul says, like, Christ, this is a faithful saying, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. And so Romans 11 seems to get at that. From my, from what I've, I can see, it seems to kind of, if I, if I approach it with that spirit of like that, I need forgiveness most of all, out of all men, then um, that there's kind of this continual flow of mercy. And it's like the, the Jews that even rejected Christ and crucified him are, are shown, are re they'll receive mercy through the mercy shown me because um, that God might have mercy on all is kind of what it sounds like. And so, um, because, um, because when, when Jesus is talking to the Jews before he gets crucified, he says, you know, you've, um, your witnesses against yourselves because you would you sit here and say if the prophets had come to us we would have done differently and so for me to sit here and say like if i were born from hitler's mother born in the same situation i would have done differently is very arrogant for me to say that like hopefully i would have but it's like i i could have done way worse i mean i don't i don't know it's only by his mercy so it's kind of like that this this life 
flowing mercy that or forgiveness that seems to to reconcile man back to man and back to god through christ let me ask you jason do you understand that after you die assuming you're in christ at your death do you understand that you will continue sinning or that you will finally be dead to sin will you still be <laughs> receiving mercy for your post-death sins i would hope stop your sinning um I, I would hope I stopped my sitting, but I would hope I'd always be receiving mercy, as weird as that sounds. Um, yeah, help me with that one. I don't know. I just feel like my existence is a is a is a mercy. So it, it'd be kind of this continual thanksgiving forever to God of just like I, because um, I think everything was created through His mercy even before the fall. Like it was all, like it's it's. Um, Do you distinguish his, between mercy and grace? I think, oh yeah, I think, I think, I think I do. Um, I think grace is from, comes from mercy. I think um, grace, I, and I distinguish between grace and forgiveness. Um, to me, grace seems like works, um, that it's, it, it's very, very close to mercy, but it seems it's, it's replaced works. Um, so like I, every, every good work I do is by his grace and his empowerment and his, uh, I guess, undeserved favor. Um, I used to see, I used to think grace was, um, just, just, I used to think it was mercy. And then that led me kind of to fall into the hyper grace category of, uh, like I can do whatever I want because of God's, God's grace. So you can, you know, cause I'm saved by his grace and his mercy. And so it doesn't matter what I do type of thing. Um, so I've, I've, that's why I distinguish between the two, I think. And maybe, and I think most people don't, but. Mitch, go ahead and talk for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I've been well, going on for too much. I don't have the etymological insight to, to get into the semantics of mercy, forgiveness, and grace. But uh, uh, I always think that the, the bits you're referring to in Ezekiel and then that, that Jesus, again, kind of, of alludes to, it is it's figurative language and it's it's hyperbolic language and and but even if it's not i i think michael is on to something when he talks about uh the the judgment of the saints to the world as as being something that's a little more earthbound uh and and so maybe this 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 mercy that's constantly extending to us in this recognition that that we're the the chief of, of sinners uh, most in need of mercy uh is is something that's equally earthbound uh, there has to be some kind of distinction between uh life and the and the hereafter and i'm noticing or it, it occurred to me when you were reading the bit from revelation about the the great white throne that the 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 names are already written in the book of life uh um and that seems significant. Uh, I, I, think, I think there's some a big distinction between life and death that we that we got to catch hold of here. To say a bit on the being written, we do have to then ask the question: Who did the writing and when? Uh, Intercalvinism. Calvinism. Oh, I, I mean, Mitch knows where I land, and Jason, I don't think you'd be surprised. I think that God wrote the book of life. He put all the names in it before the foundation of the world. Is that Calvinism? Is that what you think, Mitch? Is that the 
I'm, I'm confused. Do you guys, are these guys lined up here? I don't know. More or less. I think we do, yeah. but I'm not quite sure. That's where I would, that's what I would think. Um, because my thought um, immediately when you said that, um, it still, see, it still keeps wrapping back around to me because it, it feels to me like, and that's, that's why I'm, I brought up that question because I'm like, am I just kind of twisting things because I have this worldview? Because to me, it still keeps coming back around to me that my posture should be reach all the way into the depths of hell as much as I can. Um, because I, I cannot like conceptualize anything more powerful than forgiveness, like for the life of me, like that's the, like, it's what gives life to the dead. Like someone could be dead to you in your life and and that's what it means because you're not forgiving them. And as soon as you forgive them, you can bring them back to yourself and restore those. Like, and so when you talked about the the book and the names being written, immediately my mind went to Moses, where like my posture should be, God, if if blot me out of your book, like then that's and that's honestly how I feel a lot of times because I'm just like, if uh, when I think back on certain things I've done, the way I've lived my life, I'm like man, if there's not forgiveness for me, or, you know, if there's not forgiveness for them, whoever they are, could be Hitler. Like, if there's not actually, if he wanted forgiveness and couldn't find it, then it, I, I wouldn't be able to find it either. So that's, that's kind of how I feel. But, but I don't know if that's just some weird personal conviction. And like I said, I don't want to be twisting a Old Testament scripture and like making some lineup with my theology. That's why I posed the question of Mitch at this uh, to start this whole thing, I guess. And I think ahead, Mitch. to answer the question point blank, yeah, I, I think it's very healthy to, to, to always be examining uh, your dogma and, and, and checking it against scripture. Uh, so uh, it seems like you've got a pretty healthy fear as, you, as you're continuing to explore and to the extent that you're espousing it. Mitch, do you happen to agree with Jason that everyone who wants for forgiveness in Christ receives it in Christ? Everyone that wants forgiveness in Christ receives it in Christ. Yeah. You think so? Sounds like a trick question. Better say Good, yes. Me too. Better say yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they do you think they could have it after death? I guess is some of the question. That might be one of the questions. I, I'm really, really thinking, uh, well, two things. One, there seems, there really seems to be uh, something f fundamentally different uh, after death. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different set of rules, a different, uh, there seems to be a finality to it and a crossing over and, and just a, a whole new thing. Uh, and the other thing is, yeah, I think you have to explore the idea of, of the sovereignty of God and, and how that triggers in. And, and then the, the, that delineation doesn't even become that much of a, of a question. What delineation, Mitch? The delineation between life and death. It's practically important, but it's not uh, important in, in reality. What do you guys I think? might differ with you on that one. Jason, yeah. keep going. Oh, no, no, go, go ahead. Can you, can you say more about that, why you differ? Uh, I think there's a huge difference between uh, the pre-death life and the post-death life. Practically, yes. And with regard to history. Say more. Yeah, so God I'm is curious. telling a massive story 
and he used Moses for a season, but Moses is presently dead. Likewise, he used fill in the blank, Jehoshaphat for a season, and he's dead. And you can just go on through redemptive history. You can just go through the scriptures. Everyone who is mentioned in the scriptures died with a, a few exceptions, like less than a handful, like just a hand part. So I think that the, the death part really matters. The Lord knew when we would be born. Practically, we were not part of the story in the 1800s. And we will not be part of the story, I suspect, in the 2400s. But we are, at least in the 21st century, for 20 years or so. Unless you write a book. book. Say that again, Jason? I said, unless you write a book. If you write a book, people could be reading it from 200 years from now. Then you're still... Still interacting that way? Yeah, yeah, write write a biography or something. Don't forget me. (laughs) Yeah, I think that we really are part of a story, and probably the three of us will be forgotten. Maybe if we have some kids, they'll remember us. Maybe the grandkids. Maybe the great-grandkids. Some strange historian will read our name in a list, maybe. But for all intents and purposes, we won't be remembered. And, and yet God will be telling a story in the 21st century that when they look back from the 33rd century, they'll be very grateful for. I, I have a question. So I don't know if this is related or not. Do you want to, um, I, I was going to ask why, um, why is there not repentance after death? Like what is, what's the belief behind that? You have to admit, I, so, immediately comes to mind is you're judged for the deeds that you do in this life is that where am i getting that from judge for deeds done in the flesh where am i getting this from does it sound familiar it's, it's in the bible somewhere yeah yeah we'll be judged unless i'm i th- i mean i think that's 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 the idea even with sinners and christians christians are judged for the deeds i think it says that before the judgment seat of christ or something and some of the deeds will be burnt up and what is hay and stubble that that passage or something like yeah. that according to what is done in the body so th- that seems to be a pretty clear passage about the distinction between life and death and that's in second corinthians 5 10 but that's is that just is that is that your works or is that is that your soul um there's that um what's that um revelation again there's just it's so much weird obscure things especially in john's writing john gets so weird man um, yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Um, so I didn't know if that was that your your works being judged through the fire where you die. Do the text again, Jason. Where did you uh, start? Sorry, yeah, I just read the very last part of it. I'll read a little more. Um, so he says, uh, Give me um, a chapter. Sorry. Oh, chapter, chapter 14. Um, first, I guess I'll start at 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Um, and this is right after. Uh, then I looked, behold, a white cloud. Yeah, I follow with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was like your, your, because I mean, Christians aren't judged that that's I, from what i understand you're not judged according to our works like for, for salvation wise 
I thought it was just your works. And I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Maybe the crowns you receive in heaven or something that it talks about. It's hard, it's hard for me to not think of these things in like material ways. Like, you know, uh, like I'm like, I don't know what that means. Two comments I'll make. The first one you're alluding to with regard to rewards in heaven. I really do think that there are greater and lesser rewards and greater and lesser punishments. Um, I know that not everyone holds to that. I don't even know that it's the overwhelming majority position uh, or if it's a minority position. I don't know. But I well, know it's at least pretty popular. Well, I'll back you up. I mean, so in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, but what things that were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Um, oh goodness, this isn't the one I was talking about. But then he ends it, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, and then this was the part I was looking for. Hebrews 11, uh, chap, chap, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So that was the part, like, I was kind of add on to what you're saying is there seems to be a, a better and a lesser. I mean, if there's a better, exactly. I, would, I would assume there'd be a lesser. I don't know what that means. Okay. But I think negative 10 to 10, there's a massive chasm at that, that point of zero at which point people don't cross it. So I, I think you are either judged and found entering heaven or judged and found entering hell. But I do think there's uh, gradations in both directions. So I, I was able to just to, to think of that bit that sort of spoke to uh, how you're judged for the, the, the degree of your reward uh, or punishment is based on the deeds you did it in the flesh. So that's in life. So Michael, are you able to, to think of something that would speak to uh, the, the certainty of your being, the, the destination of your soul being judged uh, on account of your life rather than on account of your, uh, rather than being something you could uh, influence after your death? Yes is the short answer. Um, I do want to make one other comment regarding Jason's words and then circle back to your question. Regarding Jason, the other comment I want to make is that there is a reality to our being judged on the basis of our works. So we will all die because Christ died. And all people will die. So there, there really is a judgment that comes from our works. Um, we are saved in, in Christ, but I do think there is some of that. Can you, can you uh, explain that a little more? Like, like our physical death is the judgment of our works? Is that what you're saying? Or do you... I do think that the, the wages of sin is a okay. death. And therefore, I think we will receive those wages justly. Okay. So, it, it's worth a, a mild comment. To your question, Mitchell, I do think that the biggest evidence is the silence we just don't have any reason to get to believe that that i've heard that there will be an option after death 
And I think that there's lots of hints that there won't be an option after death. Hmm. Is that what you're asking, Mitch? And am I answering it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you're saying that that it's it's open ended. You you wouldn't be biblically uh, errant in assuming or supposing that there might be an opportunity to repent after death. I suspect that you would be, uh, so I don't land there, but I know people that land there. Uh, I don't think that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Jason. <laughs> hmm. So what are the, um, can you, what the, um, the examples, like you said, that, that suggest that there won't, there won't be. Do you, have any of those sure towards the end of life jesus tells this parable in luke 13 uh-oh 22 to 30 so let's just turn there together and see what we find it's gotta be lazarus huh yeah you know this bit oh the cow uh, so okay. jesus says to what shall i compare the kingdom of god it's, it's like leaven the woman took and hid three measures until it was leavened verse 22 he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journal journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Oh, great question. And he said to them, verse 24 of Luke chapter 13, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Uh, so that means something. Not sure what. I do have some guesses, and I'm sure you do too. Verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. It reminds me of the day of visitation. There really will be a visitation. You really will see those on the other side. And it really will mean something. But it will be the other side. And there will be a chasm between the two. And behold. Yeah. Huh. It's a good, that's yeah, a good stuff, one to quote there. Stuff like that is, is enough to, Jason, to make me lean towards the Rob position. Uh, but not enough to make me outright uh, uh, condemn yours. What do we do with yeah. Revelation 21, um, verse 24? And the nations and the, of the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Um, like, well, And I think Ezekiel talks about the same weird thing where I've never really heard a, a Christian um, answer for it, I guess, of what, like with the, where it talks about the nations existing in this age, to, in the age to come. Like, it's like, there's a kingdom of God and then there's also nations. I, it, it reminds me of the, the, the sheep and the goats or something when he says, um, like, like they'll, they'll, um, is that not to be confused with the same passage in Luke where they won't, there'll be nations that aren't part of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, but they'll, 
they still will have the door open or something? I, I'm not quite sure. If you want to go to either one, it'll help me follow the question. If you just want me to respond, I do have a response. Or okay, yeah, yeah. Mitchell and make him do it. Uh, yeah, just you to respond. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, so my knee-jerk reaction is twofold. Number one, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because presumably, it's happening in heaven. Full stop. They're not sinning up there the way we are down here. And Jesus is telling his disciples, let's pray that the will of the Lord would be done here on earth in a similar way. Let's sin less. Let's be righteous more. Let's do the will of the Lord. And so I think that that, that prayer will eventually be answered in a yes. I think that the world will continue to become more and more Christianized. Which brings me to the second point, which is that great commission. Go therefore. And of course, the therefore makes you wonder, why therefore? And the answer is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus is king of heaven and earth. Because Jesus is Lord, therefore, as we're going, we ought to do what? Make disciples of all nations. And so I think that we who love the Lord and, and confess him as Lord, instead of suppressing the truth that he's Lord and unrighteousness, we who confess, yes, Jesus is Lord, will do our best to obey him and submit to him. And in our doing, we will ultimately succeed. I think that Jesus, as Lord, who has all authority on heaven and on earth, will see to it that his will is accomplished. And the nations, all nations, will be made disciples of Jesus. They will be baptized. In the Even in the new heavens and new earth, or are we making a distinction there? I mean, like right now. I think that there were not Christians in the Americas 2,000 years ago, and there are right now. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's... True, but this seems to be talking about the new Jerusalem in Revelation. Like the, it seems to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Is why I have, take me to Revelation so we can so we can um, look at it together. You're in chapter twenty one. Uh, yeah, chapter twenty one. It starts at verse twenty two, um, but he goes through the. I mean, at the beginning of chapter twenty one, I saw I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. Um, and then he goes through this description and then he comes to verse 22, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated the lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there and they shall bring their glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall be, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those are that are written in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. It's just, I mean, I, it sounds like that's part of the new heavens and the new earth. And maybe I'm thinking too, uh, too quantitatively in in the whole. Because I mean, I have no idea what the new heavens and new earth is going to look like, or what that. In my mind, I've always perceived it as the the peter passage where everything melts with fervent heat and everything's just like physically dissolved and then god just rearranges it and then our body like i don't know how to conceptualize it you know i um when it could just look like a it maybe it could just look like a, a like something we're going through right now where there's this stress on the world and we're we're moving into a new uh, something new you know i don't know what it is but you can kind of go ahead sorry i'm rambling you're doing great man 
the first comment I would make is that you're doing great. Like you're right to visualize it and you're right to realize that your visualizations are incorrect. Okay. I think that the first and second century Galileans looking at 16th century Italy would just be flabbergasted, just like they would be looking at 22nd, 21st century America. And likewise, and on and on and on in that city. Uh, the joke I want to make, and then I want to poke Mitchell, is regarding the no sea. Have you heard the joke that in heaven there is no sea, but there is definitely a river and probably lakes? Is this a joke? Yeah, I'm wondering what's the punchline. I have that heard is it. the punchline. <laughs> it might be a poorly told joke, <laughs> uh, but it's just a fun little fact about heaven and what some people think of it. Anyway, it's, turn to Revelation 21 and it, interpret this paragraph for us. Yeah, no, I can't. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, any more than I could, you know, the gates 1,200 miles long. I mean, the, you know, the Jasper, all this stuff. I, I don't know. No, yeah, I think we'll be as flabbergasted by it as the analogy you gave of different generations uh, observing future cultures and cities. And so, no, I. I, I can't interpret it. Is the question really why? Well, what are these nations? I mean, yeah, Zuma 24, by its light, presumably the Lamb of God, the lamp of the city of God, that city which has no sun or moon, for the glory of God lives in it and gives it light. By its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. To me, it sounds like. John is remarking about how the Great Commission will be completed. More and more nations will be made disciples, and they will walk in that's, accordance with the divine light, with the word of God, the, of God the person of God. And as those nations walk, their kings, which will be saints, those who are sitting in judgment over the world, their kings will bring their glory into that celestial city. They'll make it across the Great River. They will have left the city of destruction, and they'll make it. Have you both read Sunday's Pilgrim's Progress? Mm -hmm. Jason, have you read it yet? No, no, no. no Someone I, I really, really admire say it's the second best book in the world. He said, you said Pilgrim's Prog Progress, right? Yeah, you'll love it, Jason. I've heard good things about it. I just have I've never read it. Like, literally, Mitch knows. I've, I've read Calvin and Hobbes, literally, and that's... Uh, in the Bible, growing up, I read probably mostly Proverbs until about the past, like maybe five years ago, when I kind of now it. you're plowing through it every three months. <laughs> yeah, it should be, um, but yeah, so that's kind of um, there's and there's weird. It's weird because I've I've noticed a blessing in that actually because I've noticed reading that the Bible every three months or in no, starting with Revelation or in Calvin and Hobbes. Well, all of them. Well, having having a lack of a lack of education, I guess you could say, or like not having read all these other things or had different theological um, reasons for things. Because I think one of the blessings for me in it is that I've I've stuck with just with just this, and so it's just like I don't have much else to go on, so I can't really too much. I can't I can't too much say like, oh, I picked this thought this idea up over here. Or because this person taught it, I grabbed it here. I mean, I'm sure I got a lot of that through church, growing up in church, things like that. But then, 
but honestly most of the stuff i feel like i brought up knowing in church i've kind of uh broken down little by little through reading precept on precept and um not in a bad way because like like i mean i people talk about deconstructionism and all that stuff and i don't think i necessarily i mean i deconstructed a lot of things but like i always found christ at the foundation of everything because i'm like nothing nothing freaking works without that like it just doesn't work eternally i guess is what it seems like it doesn't or temporally both and <laughs> jesus is the means to eternal life and he is also the means to rationality and, and so yes. much more in the world now that's what were you gonna say i gotta hop off uh, i've loved uh, it i know it could i know we could pull four hours on this subject but uh my sure. my final thoughts are uh uh, seem to be a little inconclusive. Um, I'm still leaning towards the the orthodox position for sure. Uh, You're talking unconvinced about... <laughs> by uh, by uh, whatever we're going to call this. We're going to think up the right term for it. But I'm glad you're you're always uh, uh, examining your dogma, and uh, I think you're on the right track. Thanks, thanks, Mitch. Well, you guys don't uh, shut down on my account, but uh anyways yeah, uh, i have uh, yeah i might have a few more questions or at least at least one I, i'm kind of thinking of oh, but i guess we'll talk yeah. a bit give right. your best or our best to Lori. okay yeah. bye so i kind of um i guess it's kind of a repeat of the same question that we kind of i guess pushed to mitch a little bit too is there like what would be the reasons for um no repentance after death um, because I guess what I'm getting at is I don't know if your if your soul still exists, like your mind or your consciousness is still there, and you're in a place of torment. Why why could you not come to your senses? I guess at some point. So that negative ten to ten thing and the the massive chasm that I think is there, uh, I really do think it's there. So I think that in in eternity, if okay. you end up in heaven will continue to act out you will continue to behave and, and i don't mean act out in an addict sort of way like sin i mean the opposite you will continue to perform righteousness you will come before the lord and you will worship him you will open your mouth and sing praise and you'll you'll have works of your hands we will be establishing the city of the lord and we will do it with the lamp that is the lamb and so I think that there's going to be an ongoing life of righteousness. And on that side of things, we will finally be free from sin. The old man will fully die. And the new man will be a man born to life, which is different than a man born to death. Which brings us to the opposite side of the coin. The man born to death will no longer have the grace of God. So those whom I love and know, who I understand to be on their way to hell, still do lots of righteous and good things. They do not do them from faith, and therefore they are sin. But nonetheless, they are righteous and good things, and they do that by the grace of God, the mercy of God. Huh. And I think that mercy and grace will dry up in hell. What does what does that mean? They do not do them by faith, like they. I don't even know what that statement really means. I'm trying to. So I'm having in mind the end of Romans 14. 
Okay. So if you turn to Romans 15 and just go back a verse, uh, he's, he's talking about this conflict, whether or not we should eat, eat or okay. drink wine or do things that cause our brother to stumble. And he says, don't do that. And then in verse 22, he says, the faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. And then he says this verse, verse 23 of Romans 14. Okay. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So I happen to think that the eating of meat is good. Uh-huh. And I still think that if there's someone who doubts while eating meat, doing this good thing, that person, because of their doubt, is sinning and they're eating at meat. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can apply that to any righteous deed. I think it's good to help the old lady across the street. And I think that the folk who help the old lady across the street with doubt in their heart, not from faith, they are sinning even as they do the good thing. I've never thought of that in applying that verse to good deeds. I've always, well, I've always thought of it mostly applying to, to eating. Um, but eating not not just food, um, like smoking cigarettes or something, just kind of the own conviction of your own heart. Like I, I would say there's certain things that I that other people seem to do fine, and they can do it in faith before God and lift up their face uh, towards God without spot or shame or whatever. And then there's a, I could do the same thing and I feel ashamed, and so I it's sin. Uh, like the James passage, he who knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. I've never thought of it as in like helping an old lady across the street, uh, would there be a, I mean, maybe. Or fill in your blank with your good deed of choice, like going into the storehouses of God and depositing your tithe. Okay, fine. If you do that from faith, it's good. If you do that not from faith, but from doubt, it's not good, it's sin. And that's not to say you shouldn't do it. You should absolutely do the righteous thing. Yeah. And as you're doing the righteous thing, you should be striving to do it with right motives. You should okay. be begging the Lord for a clean heart and pure conscience. Yeah. Okay. So, so would you say that that's somewhat what, what you're getting at right now? Somewhat similar to be doing it out of a place of um, arrogance in a way, or something like you could be doing. That's a great example. You could okay. fill it in with your sin of choice. Like okay. It's possible that you're helping the lady across the street or giving your time to, in the storehouse to feel good about yourself or something. Great example. Yeah. Okay. You're doing it that out makes of greed or out of lust or like. Choose your sin of choice. And so what I'm suggesting is that on this side of death, the person who's going to heaven does genuine works of righteousness from faith. And those genuine works of righteousness are still tainted by sin. And the inverse is also true. Those folk who are headed on their way to hell do genuine works of wickedness that are tainted with righteousness. So it it swings both ways. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to land where I land, but I think that that's happening. I think in my good acts, there's still a mixture of sinful motives and affections, even in the purely good ones. And there's a lot of actions that are just not purely good or purely evil. It's not, it's not obvious that we should keep staying on this call. I think we should. You think we should. Therefore we are. Yeah, but surely yeah. there's some other things we're not doing that would be good to be doing. Yeah, yeah, we could be giving our attention to other things for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure if I would land in the same place. 
I mean, as of right now, I feel like it's still kind of, uh, and I mean, I still, I think I'm, I'm where I'm at at the beginning of this conversation. Um, I would still believe ultimately in the repentance after death. And um, I, do you the, see it anywhere in the text or are you just eager for it? Um, yeah, that's what I mean. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe, I'm trying to be very cautious that I'm not formulating a worldview to just make things fit. Um, like I said, I think that the main place I see it is the, what always gets me is, yeah, the Romans 11, the Ezekiel part, the, uh, the rising up in the judgment, even Sodom and Gomorrah, all the dead are, uh, re- they rise up and then they're judged. And then I don't know why there wouldn't be um, a, 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 um, why someone wouldn't ask for forgiveness at that moment, other than their, I think I heard some, an Orthodox, I think it was Greek or Orthodox person. It sounded to me like what they were getting at, where they said that they were, and this may be just their view. I don't know that this is traditional view, but they made it sound like their reasoning for no repentance after death is because there's no more body and because in the body you're able to die and dying is like repent repentance is dying in little ways and small ways and so it's kind of like once you're once you cross that that realm into the next life you're kind of it's like you're not able to um to change like you're almost solidified in your ways or something but that doesn't quite make sense to me because then how could an angel fall like how could um, and if we're going to be like the angels in the next life, then how, um, I don't know. There's just a lot, a lot, I think that plays into it and may like, I, and I don't know that I, I also don't know what to do with memories either. That's one thing that's kind of getting to me is I'm like, I, like you even mentioned people, you know, in your life that could, might not make it to heaven like like we normally think or like i was always taught growing up and so they would go to hell and then what do you do with that memory i was always taught it would and there are scriptures that say like their memory will fade away but i was also i was always taught like we'd forget or something like kind of a, a memory wipe um i don't know if that's i i don't that's not where i land okay. i do know people that think that okay so i do know christians i respect and admire think what you just articulated you yeah. think that they will no longer remember their loved ones who are not with them mm-hmm. uh i don't think that's the case so what do you I do with that memory i think i will remember them and i will no longer be out of sync with god i think i will praise the lord and celebrate his righteous judgment and wrath on those who chose and choose to rebel against him. Because I think in hell, there is an active rebellion against God. Okay. So the yeah. person who dies lasts through the intermediate state and then is raised from death to judgment and is shown to be a goat, is shown to be chaff, is shown to be rejecting Christ, preferring themselves to be God instead of the true God to be God looking at that fruit and saying, yes, please, I will judge good from evil, not you, God, not you, creator. I think that person will continue to sin even as they are in hell. Okay. I can see. I, I mean, don't I got, think I, they'll be led to repentance by the punishment. But then what, what do you do with Christ preaching to the spirits in prison? Is that, is that different? 
Because uh, if, I, if I'm to understand that Christ is eternal and he was here before the foundation of the world, then it seems to me like like that would be a an ongoing opportunity for Sheol is described like a prison in a lot of the texts. And so it's the grave. Take me seems, to the one you have in mind and let's look at it together. Um, so in in Job, it, you know, it talks about Sheol talking about um, it'll say like it, uh, I think it's chapter three. It says the prisoners rest there, that sort of thing. But the one I'm speaking of in particular is I think it's in first Peter or second Peter. Um, let me see. Uh, it says, yes, First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So I just... Like, why, why would that happen if there's no repentance for them? Uh, I want to be able to read it in the translation you're using. Oh, you're using King. a new King James? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me do that, and I'll pull it up, and we'll look at it together. Uh, say the text again. It's First Peter 3. First Peter 3 it starts at 18, that uh, paragraph part. Uh, let's see what we see. For Christ also suffered once for sin. Amen. Just for the unjust. Amen. Christ is just. Those who are sinning are unjust. That he, Christ, might bring us, the unjust, to God. Amen. We were far off, now we're brought here. Being put to death in the flesh, he was really embodied. He was not a phantom. He was really, fully, truly man. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by spirit so he's made alive by the spirit i think that that's saying about the resurrection is that what you think jason you think that sorry can you repeat that question you think that's saying what i think the clause made alive by the spirit is a reference to the resurrection is that what you think i guess so i still don't know how to conceptualize his his whole uh bodily his, his second body and the ascension and all that stuff that seems to be what it's talking about though made alive by Brother, the spirit let yeah. me help you with the body received a glorified body i know but that's like what does that mean goodness he's walking through walls it does oh not decay <laughs> it is not contaminated by sin he is dead to sin yeah. he's no longer in the likeness of sin and he's the firstborn of many brothers the first yeah. of the new creation i know you know all that uh, <laughs> but anyway. I'm like i still don't know how to picture it i guess like what is it? uh i was um i did a he painting looks like me and you minus all of our sinning and then, yeah, and then he's walking through walls and stuff like and materializing in front of people, like right, yeah, and telling so, them about fish and cooking. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I guess that's what. That, sorry, get back to this. I guess so. Is that kind of the same thing here that he was made alive by the spirit? Right, and then there's a subject change by who? Peter. Exactly. Now Peter's going to talk about that spirit that okay. made Christ alive, that gave him the resurrection. Verse 19, by whom, referring to the spirit, also he, presumably Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison. Verse 20 is going to tell us more about those spirits in prison, because there are certainly spirits and they're certainly in prison. Verse 20, who were formerly disobedient. So presumably they're no longer disobedient because they used to be. They formerly were disobedient. Uh -huh. And once the divine long-suffering waited 
in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in which a few, that is eight, souls were saved through water. There's also not an anti-type which saves us. Baptism, the removal of filth and flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I understand that Peter understands, I may understand him wrongly, but I understand that Peter understands that when the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, he was waiting so that he could save eight souls through water. So I understand that the days of Noah were particularly wicked days. It was a disproportionate time where there was only one family worthy of redemption, which is a, a, a mind-boggling thing. And even with the word worthy, I'm betraying myself. I think Noah was unworthy. He was unjust, and yet Christ died for him, the just for the unjust. So there's not an innate worthiness in Noah. Nonetheless, Noah was chosen, selected, elected, whatever word you want right there. God said, that's my man by which I will glorify myself. And mm -hmm. with seven others, eight souls in total, they were saved through water. And so I think he went, Christ went, and preached to the spirits in prison were formally disobedient. And I think it could refer to several things, but at least it refers to Noah. Okay. Uh, and the other seven. What do you think it refers to? I thought it meant the dead that were in the grave in Sheol. I thought I've always thought it meant he went, he went and preached to the the ones who had passed um before him in um I mean, there's lots of verses where it talks about Christ bringing the prisoners out and stuff like that. And we're kind of supposed to do the same. And then I thought it meant, um, where is the passage? I'll go to Job really quick. Job chapter three. Because um, Job seems to give like descriptions of the grave somewhat. But he says, um, where is it? Why did I not die at birth? Verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me or the breast that I should nurse? Now, for now, I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves or the princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants that never saw the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not fear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there and the servant is free from his master. So I've always... Uh, pictured that kind of the it, it's like a prison house I guess kind of like purgatory or something you could say and the whole part where um yeah maybe that I don't know um if you uh, could dodge all of the bagatory baggage of purgatory and all okay. of the theological tradition around it yeah and you could just have an understanding of an intermediate state on the way to hell yeah I'm with you I'm with you Okay, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the. I haven't, like I said, I haven't read anything, so I don't know like much about the whole yeah. purgatory. My my conception of purgatory is like a, it's a place of uh different, like like we would conceptualize a prison here or something, and in a almost like a there's a torture place as well, like torments, the torments of Hades, uh, where your soul is tormented, and uh, but then there's also places, uh, yeah, like a I don't know, like there's a a, a dungeon, a prison you know, a prison cell, a dungeon, uh, the mire, like that Jeremiah sinks into, and he even gets lifted up out of the mire. Um, I don't know, I just, it seems like 
that's what I've always conceptualized that that passage in Peter meaning is that he went to he preached to the dead. Uh, he went by the spirit, um, the spirit of forgiveness, basically, and preached to the dead. And then they um, were, I guess, they had a choice then. So I, I don't know why that would cease to be like why that would be quantitative like this moment in time. This is the, the moment when I mean, other than I guess you could say that that's the moment of the cross. But I would think like that the cross still speaks. And so it would still speak to the spirits in prison until the great white throne judgment or something. I guess that's how I conceptualize it. That's why I would think there'd be repentance after death because if you're in the torments of Hades, it's like, what's, uh, God doesn't seem to do things in an arbitrary manner. And so I guess where you would say that is it's the torments are to glorify God because we see that he's just. And my thought would be, the torments are more for burning away the dross and and pushing someone to a a, a revelation Repentance. of Christ. Yeah, a revelation of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That so, is that is the function of purgatory. Okay. It's a burning off like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So 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 that's kind of the the I guess the heresy of it or something. Would that be a heresy? I don't know. I have no idea. That's Rome that's where still I actively go. teaches it. Uh, the Orthodox are split on it. Almost all Protestants reject it. That's Actually, weird. all Protestants reject it. Yeah, yeah, I grew up Protestant. So yeah, that's kind of weird that I accept it now. I don't know. <laughs> that's what I mean. I, I feel like I've had to... Uh, that's why I don't know if I'm really doubling down on my theology because I feel like I've actually had to break down uh, different ideas I have. But I'm very, very... has like I feel comfortable talking about this with certain people, but then sometimes... Um, I wonder what the danger is in even believing in uh, an ultimate eventual reconciliation because my the, my first thought is it it seems to take away the need the immediate need for evangelism. Um, it also will cause you to lie to people that you love. How so? If you're wrong, I, I mean, if you're right, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, if I am persuaded that my siblings, so I have some some family members uh-huh. who are not believers, mm-hmm. I understand on account of their unbelief, from which they have not yet repented, be on their way to hell. If I were persuaded that it's going to be all right, they're going to pass through death, and the Lord's going to purify them and give them punishment and pain in accordance with their sin such that it burns off and they are finally redeemed then i'm going to deceive them in my communication of the gospel i'm going to tell them you don't really need to worry about this you just wait till after you die yeah yeah see that's the that's my biggest concern is people could take what i'm saying that way and um i think um and that but it's it's i think what i was getting at when i was making that video is it it, it's not that way for me like my thought would be you should know i've not seen the video if you need to reference something in it should not seen it jason i'm sorry i've not seen the video you oh okay yeah so basically what what i was getting at was that i um uh there's this there's this part in genesis that really really always sticks out to me and it, it it really like it it has to do with okay so all this kind of ties in with family members too and i don't want i don't want to that's the other thing i don't want to base a theology off of just personal 
experiences. But I had a family member as well, who is my cousin, David, and he died a few years back. He overdosed. Um, and I don't know where he was spiritually. Like he- You assume that he was not regenerate, or at least he didn't, was not bearing fruit in a way that was recognizable to you. Yeah, and I, but, but I'm not, like I didn't, I hadn't spoken to him in years and years and years, but I'm just saying like, someone from the church you could it could probably split and some people would be say okay he wasn't a christian um there's this part in genesis with the benjamin story you know and he takes benjamin to his brother and then he jude it's judah basically puts his life um i'll just go find that too if you want to read it um and this just always gets me because i uh thinking about my cousin i don't think i could show my face before god without him uh so it says, let's see, now uh, Genesis chapter 44, verse 30, um, I think I've mentioned this to Mitch before as well, but it says, now therefore when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with me, he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your, of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So that's kind of how, and that's, and I know that's not like a good way to base theology or doctrine, but that's how my heart feels when I think about that is uh tell me how your feels again i'm sorry i'm struggling to keep up if my cousin if it were said that he wasn't a christian and people said oh well, he's in hell i don't think i could go before god or before christ if he was not with me i would i would probably i would approach god and say if he's tormenting and burning in flames in hell and being tortured i would go before christ and say i'm gonna bear that blame let him go in on my account i will let it be put to my account um and also something really similar do you remember the bit he says about his kinsman philemon i think or something like that or i don't know yeah yeah oh yeah he says oh yeah he said i could wish myself a curse from christ for my brethren in the flesh yeah so that's that verse really got me too because when i first read that verse i thought i could never do that i could never ever do that like my thought was i do not have that measure of love where i could actually consider tormenting in hell forever for eternity for for anyone um much less for the most evil man i can think of and so i i started praying years ago like if this is the measure of your love like help me to get there and the only thing that got me there literally was the the fact that i see god on the mercy seat and that's where he sits and so i thought if i could become that vessel of mercy a mercy seat then even in the torments of hell, if that were the case, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? Like somehow I'd be all right. God would be with me. So that's, that's just some weird, you know, and I, I don't, it sounds nice, I guess, but it's not, I don't know how theologically sound that is. Um, but it, does that make sense Bring at it. all what I'm saying? Um that I would wish myself a curse from Christ. Like Christ became a curse for me. Um, curses everyone is, he became a curse for me. I should do the same for 
for someone else, um, for everyone else, <laughs> honestly, because everyone else is think, my brother. Do you think Paul succeeded? In, in what? Oh, in being, becoming a curse for, from Christ for his brethren in the fresh? Um, man, uh, that would, let's see, what would that even look like? Um, hmm. I don't, the only way I would say that he could have succeeded is when he says, is when he identifies himself as chief of all sinners. Um, and he's a curse in that way, but then he's redeemed at the same time. Um, Go to Romans 9 and see what you see. Oh, no. Start with verse Oh, no. Not Romans 9. Oh, man. With Pharaoh? Is this what we're getting into? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Don't take me there. I do have another verse in John I kind of wanted to ask you about as well, but let's get into this first. Oh, Romans 9. Okay, this is where he says that, actually. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Kind that Jason is describing. Why? Verse 3. For I could wish that my myself were accursed from Christ. For my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, for Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption of the glory, the covenants, the giving of law, the service of God, the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So, so what's Paul saying in verse one and two as it relates to three through five? He's saying that he has continual grief and sorrow in his heart. Why do you think he has continued grief and sorrow for his heart based on three through five? Because they rejected Christ. Um, That's right. And verse six. Sorry, do you mind if we keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But, quote, in Isaac your seed shall be called, end quote. That is those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So you'll remember the story. Abraham is the one called. He has Mm -hmm. two sons, and the answer is not Ishmael, but Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, and the answer is not Esau, but Jacob. Uh And so over and over, God is saying, I am the God who chooses which of your children will be before me in faith. Why? And therefore, Paul is brokenhearted continually, wishing that he would be accursed. Uh, so I don't think he succeeds. I think that he is in grief and great sorrow because he knows he will fail. Because since Abraham, the people of God have been failing persuade those they love to come into the fold. Ishmael was not the child of Abraham by faith. Esau was not the child by faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah, but they, um, my question would be, why is he sorrowing then? Like, why bother? What's the, what's the purpose of that? Why not rejoice that God is just? 
like because if you mean that in the age to come we're not there's no more death no more sorrowing and we're just going to rejoice like why wouldn't he do that in this life like what's the purpose of any of that of, of wishing for that if there's no if there's no hope why sorrow <laughs> what I don't know that's that's I guess that's what gets me is I'm like why why even why even bother with it why not just forget them and rejoice that God casts like that they're that they, they yeah that it's done and, and his justice goes on it and his judgment is I like I I guess I just don't know what to what to do with that because I'm just um the sorrow I don't it, it seems arbitrary and meaningless if if there's no if there's no purpose for it I don't know why he wouldn't rejoice instead at seeing God's justice. Um, I assume it is because Paul is like us. And I assume it is because we are image bearers of God. I think that it really does continually grieve and cause great sorrow to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. But then so, there's going to, but then in the age to come, what is our, just our, our consciousness just changes and then we just, why, why would it not, I guess it, it goes back to the thing of memory with me. Like, what is the point of memory? Like, why not just forget them and be done with it? Like, why even, if they've, if they've died and they've gone on, and why even sorrow about it? Why remember them? Like, to me, it just, it, the memory begs for hope and begs for reconciliation somehow. I don't know why. Uh, that's, I guess that's where I get caught up. I'm like, it just, it. I don't know why it would just switch in the age to come. I mean, maybe, maybe it will. I, I don't know. At the great white, the judgment and revelation or something, it'll switch. Then it'll, um, it'll just turn. to. I think we will stop seeing with hearts that are deceitful and wicked. We will see with hearts that have been actually cleansed. And so we will agree with God. We will say, God, you were, you were right. And it is grievous. And it, it was a battle. Etc. Etc. God really does have enemies, and He really does desire to vanquish them. But then, but if we agree with God in God's sorrows, like then that's I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like if God sorrows over these people, if he then like then like we're switched and we agree with Why God. Why doesn't still, He save them? Yeah, we'd still be sorrowing, right? Because I'm like, wait, we'd still be sorrowing in the in the age where there's no more death and no more sorrowing, unless they're somehow reconciled or annihilated that's the only thing i can think of i don't know that's what i don't i am hopeful that the sorrowing makes sense that we will see it as good and right and glorious and wholesome and just and wrathful and glorious and victorious and loving and patient and kind I think we'll see the whole picture, yeah, clearer and clearer as as days go on, uh, but especially when when sin is removed from us. So, is it the sin that makes us sorrow for the ones that have rejected Christ? Is that because it couldn't? Because it makes no. God sorrow. Amen. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think that this is Paul confessing to sin. I think yeah. Paul is expressing what the lord expresses which is genuine and true sorrow despite concluding that this was the right thing to do yeah but he blinds i mean he blinds people so that he can have have mercy on them 
like i mean it's it's just it's strange thing like he because he judges people according to their knowledge so it's like they're um so like what even the people that it gives a cup of strong delusion it's like he he blinded israel that he might have mercy on us that they might crucify him that through the mercy on us we might have mercy on israel and then he says whoever you forgive i forgive i'm like you just got all these weird sayings in here where i'm like is this is it seems uh i don't even it seems to me like it's um do you remember on, what he says about about judas the um that he will fall what did one in specifically he falls headlong and bursts open in his belly and uh uh well you could go back to the psalm because that whole psalm is talking about satan and he basically uh peter i think is the one that compares him to the satan when he says let another take his office and he quotes that psalm is that what you're referring to uh it's not the part that i had in mind okay the part i had in mind was matthew 26 okay oh it would have been better if he had not been born exactly yeah, so there it is in 23. Jesus but, answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me into the dish will betray me. The yeah, Son of Man yeah. indeed goes, just as it is to be written. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It yeah. would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And yeah. Judas, who was betraying him, said, Rabbi, is it off? And Jesus said to him, you've said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the Hebrews when he says, uh, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, who have tasted, who have like dipped their hand in the dish, yeah, tasted of the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they have crucified again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Yeah. Amen. And I think yeah. somehow Jesus knows it was right to cause Judas to be born, even though woe upon woe, it would have been good for him to have not been born. Yeah. In Acts, we, we hear that it is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that Judas would betray Jesus. So somehow, God sees more than we see. His ways are above our ways. We are to him as clay to a potter. Somehow, as the scales from, fall from our eyes, we will be able to say with Jesus the whole emotional spectrum. It is, it is bad for Judas that he was born. And it's yet it. we will say it was good and right and glorious that God told the story he was telling. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it right for me to say that I wouldn't have been a Judas? Because <laughs> that seems arrogant to me. And then if I if I don't say that, then I should say that um, Jesus Christ have mercy on him. Because <laughs> you so certainly you should say that you're not yet Judas. Yeah, I mean all of them said, "Is it I?" And I mean I feel the same way a lot of times. I'm like, man, it's only by his his mercy and grace that it's not me. And then that makes That's me right. want to extend forgiveness or. I guess not forgiveness because forgiveness takes repentance. So, but if if Judas were to reach out for repentance, it would it would beg for me to forgive him. I feel like. Yes, Amen. God okay. forgives 
all who come to him. Whosoever yeah. will come, he receives. Jesus stands at the doors and knock, and whoever opens their door to him will come yeah. in and eat with them. Absolutely. And yet the day is coming when the door will be closed. Yeah. And when that door is closed, they will come and knock and say, Lord, Lord, he will say, where have you come from? You don't belong here. You know, the thing is, if Judas were forgiven, <laughs> even after death, he would probably be the most forgiving creature God has ever created because he's, he's who's forgiven much, loves much. Like, I can only imagine if, if I betrayed Christ like he did and then found repentance. I can't imagine the, the sorrow like that would be. I can't imagine the amount of love that would that would flow. Through Certainly that happened to Peter. Not yeah. quite in as dramatic a way, but in a similar way. Yeah. And somehow Peter ends up sitting with the Judaizers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alas, he wasn't done with his sinning yet. I think he's done with yeah. his sinning now, though. Yeah, sure. The joke about the afterlife. Brother, where did you want to take us in John? Oh, yeah, that was the part where it, it, it says something a little bit weird, but it's not quite as, as John always says things very, like, blunt, you know? It says something a little bit weird. I think it's Second Corinthians as well, but it says something similar. But I think it's towards the end of John. And this just always gets me. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then... Uh, Oh, yeah, this is where it's weird, because it's Paul saying it about someone else, uh, the, the guy who I think was sleeping with his mom, mother-in-law or something. But it, You're talking about 2 Corinthians 2? Yeah, yeah, 2 Corinthians 2, and he says, now whomever you forgive anything, I also forgive, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should also take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So I know that's Paul talking about this man, but I, if Paul's re reflecting the heart of god as i feel like i'm supposed to see it that way then it would uh i i think you were better off comparing john to second corinthians 2 what do you what do you mean by that so comparing... you read the part where jesus says to the disciples yeah oh if so you forgive sins they are forgiven okay if you retain if you do not forgive they are not forgiven they're retained yeah and then you see that in Second Corinthians 2, verse 6, the punishment, and this is amazing, which was inflicted by the majority. Uh, what does the word majority mean? And of course, the majority means somehow a consensus was established. Probably a vote, but maybe not. Somehow they knew that the majority did something. And what is it that the majority did? The majority inflicted a punishment. We who are Baptists think that that punishment was excommunication. We removed you from the table of the Lord. We removed you from the fellowship of the church. Yeah. And yet, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. Sometimes the removal is what works. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, instead of enduring that punishment, on the contrary, verse 7, you ought to forgive him and comfort him, lest he be swallowed up with sorrow. So you who slept with your father's wife or someone else, you who received the punishment inflicted by the majority, 
come now, be comforted, come now, be forgiven. And it seems that the majority is the one acting. And I understand that Jesus in John chapter 20 was giving that authority to the church. He was giving authority. it to the, go ahead. The authority of forgiveness. Uh, yeah, of seeing people in and out of membership. He was giving the authority to them to discern between true and false professions, that is to say state, statements of faith, and true and false professors, that is to say credible Christians. Okay. So my church membership means a lot to me. I understand that those saints, when they offer me bread and the cup, they are reminding me that they think I'm a Christian. And that does a great job to comfort me, lest I be swallowed up by sorrow. Okay. Yeah. So what, is that where you land too, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does. I guess I just, um, now whomever you forgive anything, I also forgive. Um, for indeed, I have forgiven anything. That's Christ saying that, right? Through Paul. I have forgiven that one. Where are you now, brother? It's a verse, verse 10. Of 2 Corinthians 2? Yeah. Yeah. Now whom you forgive, I also forgive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so think like, that Paul is not speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's speaking on behalf of himself. Okay. Yeah. So that's if you go back to 1 Corinthians 5, do you remember this part? Or, or let's just read it together so we're, all, so we're on the same page. The del deliver one up to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. I love that part. And I'm a universalist. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, that's, I, I dealt with a lot of affliction in my body, uh, physical affliction that I'm eternally grateful for. And I feel like I went through the same thing where I was delivered up to Satan for the destruction of my flesh, that my spirit might be saved. Um, so I, I think that happens in this life, and that's why I wonder if it happens in the next life, in the purgatory sense, you know, or you're in the torments of. Uh, uh, but but then your flesh, first, your flesh isn't there, so that's a good point there. I don't know. I anyway. do think that your flesh is there in hell, and I do oh. think your flesh is there in heaven. I do oh. think you are resurrected bodily at the judgment day. At the judgment day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In verse three. Yeah. Paul says, "I indeed." as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present and was done this deed. So I understand that Paul is saying, even though I don't belong to your church, Corinthians, I helped to plant you, but I'm no longer a part of you. Even though I don't congregate with the congregation, I don't assemble with the assembly, even though I don't do church with the church, mm -hmm. my heart's already judged this case. This case is an easy case. This man is sleeping with his father's wife. Yeah, yeah. This is just so obvious. Even the pagans will get this one right. It's, it's frowned upon in the church. Yeah. Ought to be. Yeah. <laughs> the pagans are correct. We shouldn't be doing that. And so I think in 2 Corinthians 2, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I, Paul, I also forgive. And okay. you who have forgiven anything, I also forgive. And so he's just drawing the distinction between the Corinthian believers and himself. And he goes on to say, if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So he's reaffirming what Jesus said in John 20. Jesus says in John 20, you disciples get to decide the cases. The Corinthian mm -hmm. church is ultimately the one who decided 
whether or not they were going to inflict the punishment of excommunication. And the Corinthian church voted the same way Paul would have voted. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 said, it's obvious to me, I'm voting, even though I'm not there. I don't get a vote. I'm not there in person, but I'm telling you how to vote because I love you and I'm your brother in Christ. More than that, I helped plant you and I'm an apostle. And the church votes. The majority makes known its will to punish the man. And apparently in this case, the punishment was sufficient so that now again, the church needs to act. They need to forgive, be reconciled. And that is an expression of John chapter 20. Jesus gave that authority to the church. The church exercised that authority. And Paul, a bystander, is celebrating the decision of the church. In 1 Corinthians, he's rebuking them for being too slow to punish. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, he's celebrating that they have, in fact, forgiven him. And they were actually the ones to do the forgiving. They did the binding. They did the loosing. They did not retain this sin. They forgave this. That's how I read them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that also okay. how you read them? Yeah, 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 that is, that is. I, I mean, I, I don't think, like I said, there has to be truth and stuff before there can actually be forgiveness. There has to be repentance as well. I just, um, I guess what I was, the whole, where in John, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Um, I think in Matthew, when he's healing the paralytic, he says like this power of forgiveness was given to men and it's uh do you remember where that is uh matthew chapter nine if i remember right and it, say, it says they marveled at this power that god had given this power to men so it it is it seems matthew chapter nine verse eight now when the multitude saw they marveled and glorified god who had given such power to men like the power of forgiveness uh, in verse uh, six, he says, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. It sounds to me like, like he's talking about the son of man, like not just him, but also us because of that passage in John. Like, and we do, I mean, I know we do in small ways have power to forgive sins. You can forgive somebody or not forgive them. Um, and if you retain that unforgiveness, to me, that seems like you're putting yourself in your own hell then maybe if you offer that that forgiveness freely for those who reject it are putting themselves in their own hell kind of the whole like i guess the idea of love burning somebody or something uh, does that make sense i feel like i'm talking and i'm not making sense um, no, you did well you said three things uh that i agree with and then i want to get back to an earlier one that i i want to poke off Okay. Yeah. Ones that I agree with. I think you're absolutely right that we do genuinely forgive one another, mm -hmm. and that that's that's a, a remarkable power. So, Amen. Forgiveness is real, and and we exercise that towards one another. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, you also commented that um, there are those who find themselves with burning coals heaped on their head because mm -hmm. of the kindness of others, because of yeah. the love of others. Uh, I agree with you there. That's that's that. I don't remember the third one that I agreed with you on, but the one that I wanted to circle back to is the Son of Man. Jason, do okay. you understand that the Son of Man refers exclusively to uh, Jesus when Jesus is talking about himself in the Gospels? Or do you understand that the Son of Man is referring to a category of people or all people? Um, I don't think it's specifically 
to Christ. I think it is. And in a lot of instances, but because I know that in Daniel, people always talk about the son of man and they'll always reference that when they're talking about, they're saying Christ was referring to himself back in Daniel as this son of man. But then the entire book of Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel the son of man as well. That's right. So it seems to me like um, eh, Christ is the son of man and is the son of God. But I wonder if like when Christ says those things, he's trying to almost pull you in a little bit to see like yourself in that, um, that you also being a man are, you also are a son of man and you have power to forgive sins as well. I don't know. Um, what, what do you, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't think that I have the, the power to forgive sins. So I do think in John chapter 20, Christ gives the authority to forgive or to retain sins. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's talking about church authority. Church. And I don't think churches are infallible. So were I to choose to have sex with my father's wife, uh, the church would decide whether to retain that sin and, and have that as the charge that they counted as valid and found me guilty on and then because they were retaining it brought a punishment punishment unto repentance the punishment of excommunication hoping that i returned to the fold i think that would be retaining the sin i think the church gets to do that and the inverse is also true if i sleep with my father's wife and the church forgives that sin they can forgive it and i can continue coming to the lord's table I don't think churches are infallible. So I think there are folk who are wrongly forgiven by churches who are just too quick to receive back and treat sin as a small thing. And the inverse is true. Yeah. There are folk who are wrongly refused forgiveness by churches who are too quick to penalize on account of particular pet sins and keep just a weight and a burden that people ought not bear. Uh, I think churches err in both directions. Uh, I think God does not err. Mm -hmm. So God rightly adjudicates. He rightly forgives and he rightly retains sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I I would completely agree. Like the forgiveness isn't flattery and people do that where they uh, tell people they're fine in their sins and they're overly, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I completely agree with that. I guess I just say where where we do forgive, I guess what I was getting at is that we do, like, actually forgive. Like, I've had to forgive people before. <laughs> and, it, and it is, like, and, and sometimes it literally feels like you're taking their sin upon you. Um, I don't know. Especially when you're involved. Uh, I, I was talking to Craig. Do you know Craig Faye? Not well. I've shared a few calls with him and even been in person with him. Okay. Well, we were talking a while back and then we were kind of talking about the same thing where you're, you're, you kind of become the scapegoat for someone else. Um, Cause he was talking about how in, in conveying a story sometimes, like you could have an argument with someone and then he was, he was referring specifically to a husband and wife and then they were recounting the story to him. And he said, they were just kind of trashing each other. Like, uh, like this person, like kind of, kind of the Genesis story, like, well, this, this woman, well, this man. And he was like, in that, and we were saying like, in that instance where you could rather, if you're the husband, be 
even if you were totally not in the wrong, you could still, in a way, take those sins upon you and be like, well, she only acted this way because of probably because of something I had done previously. And you kind of are like taking, you know, it, does that make sense in a way? Like you're, it feels like you're taking a wound and you're making yourself the bad guy in the story for the sake of the other person, for the sake of your wife. In that case, you would say my wife, like you probably, you might not even, like if, if they saw like, I don't know, she like got freaked out, got like exploded, got really stressed. Then you could say like, forget, like just, please forgive her. Like it's, I've been like pestering her all day and I led up to right. this. And even if you weren't. And so like, that's what I'm saying. Like you're kind of taking in that way, being the scapegoat. Does that make sense? So like, I feel like we actually do those things in this life um, in, in little ways. So it's like, we actually do take in those ways, kind of take the sins of another upon us, which is probably a very bad way of putting it and a bad way to say it, but yeah. The okay. case that you described is a little too messy uh, yeah. for me to address it easily. Okay. I, I happily will address it, but an easy case might be with regard to finances. If someone asks you for $20 or, or any sum, $10, yeah. and you say, of course, you're my friend, here's $10. And they say, great, I'll give it back to you. And mm. they don't. Yeah. You can forgive that debt. Yeah. If you're forgiving of it, you are actually paying it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That's, that's a very good way of putting it. So do we do that? Does that scale up into, into Christ and then to God? Does that, does that make sense? Like, does that not... actually does forgive sins? I don't think you're asking that because I know you know the answer to that. If, if what, sorry. What do you... Jesus really does forgive sins. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then do we. So do uh, we. Yeah, okay. We are commanded to forgive. He is commanded to forgive. Mm -hmm. To your example, that was a little messier. Uh, yeah. I would encourage you to not lie. That's just a mistake. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't also know. Also, encourage encourage you to yes, you should cover for one another, and covering is just good and right and wholesome, and we should be quick to forgive each other. The third thing I'll, I'll comment is we should be very careful to not treat sin too lightly. Different ages have different propensities to err air either treating sin too lightly or too severely the age we live in treats sin far too lightly uh so I, I would just encourage you just like i encourage myself try to avoid that air since it's the one that all of our neighbors and secularists and unbelievers and our culture is pushing us towards we we should kind of stand bulwark against that i think it's in john where we're told yeah i'm, I'm almost certain it's in him we were told that there are those who will call something good, which is evil, and call evil that which is good. Yeah. We need to be careful to do that in our relationships. Uh -huh. So we yeah. should say, yes, beloved, I am forgiving you, and you are forgiven, and this is never to be held against you ever again. And in fact, I'll go so far as to have it be forgotten from you. But it really was wrong that you did it, and you really should say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Anyway, those are my comments. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to land it. where I land, but that's yeah. what I recommend ethically. Yeah, no, yeah, that's good. I think I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
definitely agree with that. I wonder if we can find that bit that I was thinking about. And I know now, it's in I Isaiah because I just read it today, but it's probably really? quoted in John as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, the um, woe to the find men. It in Isaiah. I'm going to uh, check oh, Romans. I think Isaiah, it's Romans 1. Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, who are prudent in their their own sight. Woe to men who are mighty at drinking wine. Woe to them men who are valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Man, justify the wicked, the wicked for a bribe. That remind me of this. There's this song. It's from like a Christian metal band. I used to listen to, but they um, uh, it's talking about like my rep. He says my reputation is what I am on the scale in the eyes of mankind. And I kind of remind me of that bribe right there. Like I would justify the wicked just for how the whole world could see me, my own reputation in the eyes of mankind. That's a verse that I would want to highlight that you just read. Yeah. It's verse 21. Wise in their own eyes. And prudent in their own sight. Yeah. The, the perennial temptation of humanity will be the temptation that befell Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you going to trust the Lord and say his way is right? He knows right from wrong, not me. Or are you going to trust your own reasoning, your own eyes, your own observation? Are yeah. you going to consider yourself prudent in your own sight? Yeah. Will you trust in the Lord and rely not on your own understanding? Or will you do the opposite? Will you rely on your understanding? Will you be wise in your own eyes? Yeah, I completely agree. That's, yeah. To that yeah that genesis 3 chapter that happens all the time oh, it's just like it's happened to everybody all the time and it's just um but yeah it's so arrogant to to fall into that because you don't see the whole story of humanity or the whole story of eternity even it's like how do you you're not god <laughs> to be wise in your own eyes i guess and, yeah the temptation will always be to make yourself god jason um, you're wise to not want to be god I'm really nope. happy that you want to trust that's the Bible. The, that's the yeah. right decision. Yeah, that's the one thing. I think the one thing that I I was lucky, I feel like, to kind of, uh, I feel like God led me to it. And my mom, because my mom made the comment on, on Job where I, she was, she told me that Job was about pride. The book of Job was about pride. And then after that, I just feel like it's really been clearly laid out, or at least I, I can see it very clear that everything seems to boil down between humility and pride. Um, and that's been like a, a lifesaver to me because the opposite of love is, is not hate. Like I, I often hear people say that all the time. And I'm like, it, love hates things like love, actually love purifies love, loves unto love, like love purifies. I think that's a quote from George McDonald's, like love pure, like it loves unto purity or something like that. So it actually is that consuming fire that burns away the dross, like love hates things but love is selfless. So the opposite of love is actually selfishness and pride and self-seeking. And so it's, am I right to say that? I feel like I'm right to say that. You're, you're giving me a so. look where I'm like, I'm a, you're making me sick against myself. Like if love uh, is, if love is selfish. Hesitant yeah, yeah. Was that God is love and God really, really loves himself. Uh, I, I think he is the only one for whom that's, that can be true. Because for us to love anything but God is sin, just like for God to love anything but God would be sin. Are you saying God's a narcissist? 
I am saying that God is fully aware that he is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. 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 He loves and it's not, it's not the narcissism that would plague us because we are one in being and one in person. And he is one in being and three in person. Mm-hmm. So there's a love from the father to the son and the son to the father and the son to the spirit and the spirit to the son. The yeah. To the father, so the father. This Trinitarian thing, this Trinitarian pattern and yeah. And his creation, like we're made in the image of God. So really he's looking at himself and he's just like holding, not holding in the mirror. I love me. <laughs> just Tell me about, joking. uh, do you mind if I change the subject, Jason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the fourth person I don't know. So obviously I know Mitchell well. Obviously okay. I know Craig a little. Who's the fourth person you were talking about that you met in a Discord channel? Oh, Christian. Yeah, Christian Golden. So there's uh, this, you know Jordan Peterson, right? Yes. I'll tell you how this all I guess, connects. So Jordan Peterson, when he started coming around, then this pastor out in California, Paul Vanderclay. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He Say the name again. Paul Vanderclay. He's just his okay, pastor. Keep going. He's yeah, he's a pastor out in uh, I think he's his church is called Living Stones, I think. But he started doing YouTube commentaries on Jordan Peterson because he saw him doing his biblical lectures. He thought, there's something going on here. I should comment. So he just did it for fun, see where it'd go. People started commenting on Paul's channel, it got popular. So he started a Discord server called Bridges of Meaning. And so it's kind of a group of like people. I don't know how many people are in there. There's a lot of people. And it's just basically a collection of people. He calls it an estuary because it's just like people from all over. Like some people are Christian, some people aren't, some people are Jews, some people are even, I think there might be some Muslims in there. And it's all these people in there basically kind of came together through the Jordan Peterson lectures, even the biblical lectures, looking for, um, yeah, meaning, bridges of meaning, basically. And so, Christian Golden is he's he's a Christian. He was on in that channel and he would drop links to his YouTube videos. Uh, originally he was doing like worship songs and playing and he was just some of them were spontaneous. He'd just go and start praising God. And I'm not sure of his theological background. It sounds like it's kind of similar to mine that it was he was probably in more orthodox Protestant, I'm sorry, Protestant circles. A yep. lot of the a lot of the bridges of meaning Discord server a lot of the people in there have been more going towards orthodoxy but there's still like a few protestants and stuff so i met christian through that basically i reached out to him and i said um he he also he was the one who actually referred first referred me to george mcdonald at the beginning of last year and so i've read a lot of george mcdonald since then um and so then i asked him hey would you want to just do a zoom call and talk about george mcdonald we didn't really talk much about george mcdonald and so then I just kind of talked to him for a little bit and then uh we um yeah from there yeah like I said afterwards he he I I just told him I think we would talk a little bit more and I said yeah that was really fun doing that if you want to ever dig into scriptures like let me know and he said yeah let's do that so he's been kind of hosting these discussions with um yeah us four it's been a lot of fun yeah it's it's good it it's uh is he himself uh, a reformed Protestant. What does that mean? So the the church that uh, Vander brother. Okay. Oh yeah, he's Christian reformed. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Christian Golden is like. Uh, is it what a name, right? Christian Golden. Yeah, it's a rich one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he's. I don't think he's part of the Christian reformed church. No, I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never really asked him what his church was, if it was Baptist or what exactly it is. Um, yeah. I grew up non-denominational, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means it means a denomination now, as far as I can tell. It was, have you heard of um, Kenneth Hagin Sr.? I may yeah. have already told you this, right? Did I tell you this? Okay. So that was the, the church I was brought up in was a, a, a word of faith church that was kind of a branch off of his his church, so. I'm glad you've been spared. Uh, I know we're getting pretty late. Is there anything else you want to get to while we're together? Or do you want to kind of cut and then have a new conversation? Or do you want to oh. keep flowing and see what happens? We can, I'm down for whatever. We can keep going or you can, uh, I'm not quite sure how to cut it then other than to go back and cut it later. Um, but if you if you need to go, I'm, I mean, I understand that as well. It, I don't mind hanging out though. My wife is currently through this door that has a window in it, so I can see her if I look that direction. Okay, yeah. So do you need to And go? she is, she's making pot. Okay. Yeah. And she just looked at me, so I think she knows what I'm talking about her. Oh, well. You... Uh, for now, I think she's happy enough. Okay. Uh, so we can have another conversation. Yeah. Let's go ahead and end this one. Okay, I don't even know how to do that. How do, do I just hit stop recording and it'll do something, I guess? I've yeah, and then invite okay. me to a new call and we'll start recording that new okay, call. Okay, so I could, okay, I could just end the meeting. Do you care if I do that? Just end it and then start a new one or something? Okay. Exactly, I'll, that's I'll try. what I'm recommending. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm still doing this. See that way soon. that'll give me a chance to pee as well, so. <laughs> <laughs>